I'm Billy Ray. And I'm Joel. And you're listening to Tales from Wisteria Lane. The podcast where we give a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. Hi guys, and welcome back to Tales from Wisteria Lane. I'm Joel. I'm Billy Ray. And today we will be discussing Season 1, Episode 10, Come Back to Me. Yes, we will. So today I will be doing the overview and Billy Ray will be doing some of the trivia. It's still weird when you call me Billy Ray. Yeah, I know, I don't like it. I call him B. So this is Season 1, Episode 10, written by Patty Lynn and directed by Fred Gerber. Oh my god, you always get him. (laughs) I know, I was so happy when I read it. I was like, it's Gerber! Was that why you laughed? It's my man. Yeah. (laughs) Every time that I do the trivia, it's directed by Fred Gerber. Yeah. So, the title of the episode comes from a song from the musical On a Clear Day You Can See Forever. Oh, I've never even heard of that musical. Nor have I. What kind of gay am I? (laughs) The French title for this is Confiance per Dieu, which translates to Lost Trust. And the German title is Verstexwill, I think. (laughs) Which translates to Hide and Seek. Mm. That's a cool title. I like Hide and Seek. I mean, it plays with the theme a lot better than the actual title in English, I believe. Really? I actually think the opposite. Well, the French title Lost Trust is about the loss of trust. And I think that plays nicely with the theme. Whereas Come Back to Me is, I think, less appropriate given some of the circumstances. But I think it just depends on which character that you've been really looking at. I think I mainly was focusing on Bree's storyline in this episode. Yeah, I know. That's exactly why I think Come Back to Me is like the main Oh, okay, well, thing. we'll get into but we'll it. But we'll get into that. We'll, we'll talk about it. that at the end, yeah, yeah. And um, they had to record the scene with Maisie and Rex twice, as they weren't allowed to show any sexual toys or items during the scene, so instead, when they first recorded it, they used some unidentifiable medical instruments and such, but the scene they shot was so weird that it didn't get past standards and practices, and they had to record it again. This is from the Desperate Housewives Behind Closed Doors book for interested listeners. But, but you do see like some of the not necessarily toys you don't see any toys but you do see stuff which just makes me think what were you recording with the first time that was so weird yeah medical instruments is that like a speculum tray and (laughs) yeah apparently scalpel well apparently the first thing she pulls out of a cupboard was just this long metal thing and in my head I thought what like something that you'd cut a skull open with a probe in the actual scene when she's pulling stuff out there was one thing where I was like is that some sort of wrench I don't I don't even I'm gonna have to rewatch it and really try and pay attention to what she was getting out this is why Maisie is popular I guess she's she's got a very interesting mind yes and she's open and she's uh, we'll we'll get into that as well the episode I'm sure but that's um that is all my trivia do you want? Should we get into the episode? Yeah, sure. Wonderful. Um, so Mary Alice begins the episode by discussing Maisie Gibbons, and for those that might not remember, Maisie is the head of the PTA at Lynette's school, and is the one that Lynette sort of challenged at the school play <laughs> scene. And we start by taking a look into Maisie's sort of ordinary life. You know, in the morning she's running errands, and in the evening she's taking care of the house and her children. But her afternoons are dedicated to spending her time in the company of lonely and frustrated men who are just willing to spend a little bit of money to see Maisie. <laughs> Interesting way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to give it family friendly, but that eliminates all the fun words. They pay for more eccentric adult cuddles. Yes. With yeah. like whips and toys and chains. To be, to be fair, we can say it's sex work. Uh, so we move on to the scene with Maisie, who's just finished with a client and asks her if it's hard to sort of keep this secret, but she says that actually she finds it quite exhilarating because to her, she is keeping the secrets of all of the men that come to her. It's not just the secret 
for her and she moves on to explain that she started this business on the side <laughs> let's say when her husband lost his job and they had to give up their country club membership I love how that was the final straw <laughs> to this is that we had to give up our country club membership middle class people man right wild she felt like one of her club friends judged her for this and believed that she had sunk so low that she was never coming back so Maisie started this hobby as a way to bring money back for the family and shortly after that her club friend's husband actually became one of her regulars. The doorbell rings and Maisie makes a point of saying to her client that the person that has just rung the doorbell is the husband of the woman that sort of gave her a hard time when she was going through financial troubles. She asks the client to go at the back so as not to be seen and the next client that walks through the door is Rex. What a which shock. Which is Bree's husband. Gag. No one, I, was anyone really expecting that? I don't think anyone was expecting it. It just wasn't much of a surprise though. I mean, no, it's not. You see it and you're like, yeah. It makes sense, but I think the first time you see it is a bit of a gag. It's a bit of a shock. No one expects this from Rex. And of course... I do not have relations with that woman. Oh, God. (laughs) There has to be that one joke at some point in this episode. Um, Of course, the sort of, like, rude friend is Brie. Yeah. Probably just with a look. Yeah, Brie probably didn't say anything. (laughs) I think that was the point, though, because Maisie does say that. The fact that she didn't say anything is when she thinks they're so far gone that they're not coming back. Anyway, title sequence, we're at the courthouse and it is Carlos's trial and Gabby and the rest of the girls all seem to be there to support them both. The prosecution wants bail denied as it turns out that Carlos's company imported goods manufactured by slave labour. So that is what Carlos is being arrested for. We now have that I thought that was just common practice. Oh. <laughs> Tanaka, which is Carlos's business partner, has fled the country already and Carlos is accused of refusing to surrender his passport. Carlos's lawyer assures the judge that his passport has just been misplaced but that he is innocent and he was not a business partner but a hired contractor. Sure. Yeah, right. The judge rules that if Carlos surrenders his passport then bail will be allowed which means that Carlos can go visit his mum who is obviously in a coma. Poor Gabby. She looks really devastated. Gabby looks heartbroken that he's not coming home. I kind of felt for her. Mm, how's she going to handle this? Right? Carlos looks really good in orange. Does he? Yeah. I wasn't really paying much attention. Oh, okay. Fair enough. What That's... were you paying attention to in this scene? <laughs> what Gabby looked like. Oh. <laughs> That's the difference between the two of us guys. Lynette's kids are refusing to finish their Brussels sprouts and the new nanny tells Lynette to go to her lunch she can handle the kids and Lynette does seem reluctant to leave as she doesn't want to shock her kids by disappearing claiming that her boys are really very sensitive. (laughs) She decides to go and she gets a three bear hug from the boys on the way out. But of all of the vegetables to give your kids. Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts. It's not Christmas don't make them suffer just because they've had a good day. Right? No one like no one wants Brussels sprouts at Christmas. No. Like Brussels sprouts are the worst of the vegetables so why are you giving your children a hard time those kids barely ate any food and she was just like fine whatever when i was little my parents made me eat all of the vegetables i hated clean the plate oh you have to eat that cabbage i don't mind cabbage well either way there's vegetables that kids don't like and my, my parents made me eat them i know that i can't i shouldn't judge but are you trying oh like she they they barely ate anything julie is taking an unusually large amount of chinese takeout upstairs to her room to eat and susan points that out says that it's a lot of food so she changes the subject and tells susan that her ex-husband carl and his new girlfriend brandy might break up Ah. susan (laughs) claims this is awful but does keep a huge smile on her face 
because of the drama, though, Carl is unable to take Julie for the weekend, meaning that Susan and Mike's big romantic weekend is off. Mike suggests moving the date weekend to his house, but Susan says she likes to be surrounded by her stuff and so that she is comfortable. They move it to the following weekend, but quickly realise that they can't wait that long. Try to find a time midweek, but that doesn't seem to work either, and Susan damns Carl for still keeping her from having sex, even after their divorce. Can Susan not comment on the amount of food Julie wants to eat? Well, I mean, she ordered it, surely. Yeah. You ordered all this food. You ordered all of it. Did you want it not to be eaten? But (laughs) Julie is 13 years old. She is at that teenage sort of area. And Susan, as a parent, you are going to start commenting on the amount of food that your daughter is eating. And that is how you give her a weight complex. (laughs) Yeah, bog off, Susan. Oh, are you storing for winter? Bugger off! But Susan is everyone in this scene. Apart from the snide comment about, you know, food and eating, Susan is literally everyone she's happy when they hear about drama with their ex and she needs things around her like her things around her to be comfortable she doesn't want to like move away from her things during you know workout sessions with mike i was gonna say as someone in a homosexual relationship i find it really funny his lack of understanding of how susan needs her stuff around her and her space yeah she needs her womanly things yeah she needs a certain lighting for when they're doing their adult cuddles and i thought that was funny i need certain (laughs) things around me i need to feel comfortable at any time. Julie goes upstairs and Julie tells Zach that she can't hide him in her room forever and that she thinks they should come clean to Susan, promising Zach that he can trust her. Zach grabs his coat to leave, saying that he doesn't want to cause problems, but Julie stops him by telling him that she won't tell Susan anything. Bree is playing solitaire and drinking. <laughs> Perfect combo. Rex comes walking through the door and asks Bree why she's still up, but she throws the same question right back at him. He throws his blaze on the side, telling Bree that he is going to bed and that he did didn't ask for her to wait up for him, reminding Brie that he is here as the children's father and not as her husband. Brie smells Rex's blazer and asks him if he was with a woman and Rex says to Brie that even if he was, he has every right to as he is simply exploring options, which is a big part of being separated. He advises Brie to do the same, but she laughs this off as a joke, reminding Rex that she is busy raising his children. He claims that he is just trying to move on with his life and she asks Rex why he doesn't just invite the mystery woman over and fornicate with her on the sofa bed, calling Andrew and Danielle down to watch. Guys, this divorce is just a mess. It's a real mess. Calling up to Andrew and Danielle, come on. Yeah. Have some class, Brie. I mean, (laughs) Brie's been drinking. She's not all there. Like, you can hear she's slurring her words. She's at least tipsy by this point. Rex tells Brie to keep her voice down, and she asks him if it's because he's feeling ashamed before walking out. (laughs) Burn. I mean, no offence, love, but those 90s that you keep wearing really aren't helping your divorce. At least she wasn't wearing a bloody golf cardigan this time. (laughs) Uh, No, true. It wasn't a golf cardigan. But still, those 90s are very unsexy. Yeah, they're not very flattering. No one wants to like be like, oh, she's wearing a white nighty. Oh, <laughs> I'm so sorry, but before we move on, my tablet has just died and it's no! got all my notes on it, and I need to just quickly load that up. So, talk amongst yourselves. We're gonna take a break. Quick break. In- enjoy the break, guys. We'll be right back. Fine, fine. Be three foot eight the rest of your life. See if I care. Good luck finding girlfriends. Hi everyone, welcome back. The notes are all up and functioning and in order again. So we can now carry on with the episode. We can. Woo! Let's do it. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Edie is banging on Huber's front door and nobody has seen her for a few days now and her garden is a mess. Edie was beginning to do the one thing she hated, which was worry, which Edie feels gives you wrinkles. So out of concern for her face and for Huber, Edie decided to look into it. I mean, Huber's garden was always a mess anyway. True. And Edie <laughs> always looks good in a suit. She just wanders off and leaves, leaves her handbag on the bench. She does. She, like, puts her handbag on the bench outside of Huber's 
like front door and walks away. <laughs> I had to rewind it just to get a double take, but can confirm she just leaves her handbag there and she wanders does. off. Gabby is panicking and looking for Carlos's passport with Yao Lin, and Yao Lin is more concerned with how she is going to get paid if Carlos is in jail. Gabby gives her a check three weeks in advance to keep her quiet, telling Yao Lin that people do not become poor overnight. And at that moment, Gabby looks out of the window to see her car getting towed by the government. What timing. Perfect timing. I love how the dude taking Gabby's car wasn't even going to give her a receipt. You guys, Gabby doesn't deserve this. Gabby does not deserve this. She's worked so very hard. <laughs> Lynette is sat with Brie, who is ironing, and worrying about her kids and the new nanny. Brie tells her to stop wasting free time obsessing about the kids and recommends buying a nanny cam if Lynette is that worried, claiming that people do terrible things and they think nobody's watching them. Lynette feels this will be a breach of trust, and Brie replies, claiming that trust is overrated. Lynette takes this moment to ask Brie about her marriage, and Brie says things are fine, but the situation is fluid, and she isn't sure what Rex's plans currently are. Lynette asks Brie that if she isn't sure of Rex's plans then why is she ironing his shirts and Brie replies saying that she has faith that he will come back and that he will do the right thing. Lynette tells Brie that it's good to have faith in people and Brie looks back at her to say but I'd still go buy that camera. Don't encourage her Brie. Why hire the nanny if you're suddenly not going to trust her? I know right you spent all this time trying to find well not all that time it wasn't the intake that long happened. Well no but we've seen that Claire is a great nanny that's why you picked her. She trusted you by leaving her current employer to move to you and now all of a sudden you're being a bit of a dick. Tom and Lynette are cut from the same cloth. Mm. They make a decision and then they change their mind. Yeah, they'll go right back on it. Yeah. Susan is looking out of the window. As she um, does. As she does. (laughs) And watches Mike as he's coming home. She calls him and asks him to come over and begins to make the house very romantic. She's wearing lingerie. She sprinkles rose petals all over the house, puts on some sexy music. She goes into Julie's room to steal some of her candles and we get a shot of Zach hiding. Zach tries to sneak out of the house, but Susan can hear someone walking around and assuming it's Mike, she calls him upstairs. As Zach gets to the top of the stairs, he sees Mike walking through the front door. So he runs back into Julie's room and again, Susan hears Zach moving around and that's when she starts to grow suspicious (laughs) that there is someone in the house and it's not Mike. She grabs a thigh master (laughs) and she swings it hitting Mike in the face, claiming that she thought she had somebody in the house. Susan apologises and says that she took her clothes off, not because someone was in the house, but because she was trying to seduce Mike. <laughs> and that's when Mike sees Zach. Then Susan sees Zach. You know, I think we should start keeping track of when Susan just looks out the window. I mean, at yeah. People across the street. We should. But she's keep... done it at least three times by now. We need to get, we'll keep counting it in the future one day. Yeah. Why would you, <laughs> poor Mike, he's probably thinking, why would you invite me upstairs, tell me to come upstairs and then whack me in the face. Yeah, she's like, oh, come on over. I need you to fix my oven. Smack. And she's just like... (laughs) Come on up. Bam. (laughs) Zach standing in the doorway, revealing himself after all that. Yeah. Why? I don't know. And it's so creepy as well. I mean, there's a bit more to the scene. So um, Julie then comes home and she finds Zach at the dinner table with Mike and Susan. And Julie tries to play dumb at first. And it appears that Zach has told them both that he has been hiding there. So now Julie's the liar. Yeah. Julie, this perfect child, (laughs) is starting to act out now at the age of 13. But yeah, the moment where Zach sort of stands in the doorway and he just goes, please don't be mad. That's so creepy. (laughs) Plus, Susan's in lingerie. If I was Susan, I would be mortified. We get a quick scene, very brief scene, of Lynette hiding a camera around the house in an attempt to spy on Claire before testing it out to make sure it works on an innocent teddy bear. And then she like goes over to the TV in the kitchen and switches it on and then suddenly the camera's 
on that TV screen. Yeah, I was thinking, why have you got this up to that TV? What if she turns it on? What if she turns it on? What if Claire is like chilling out with the kids and she's like, do you want to watch a movie? And she puts it on and then all of a sudden it's just herself on that TV screen. How terrifying is that? That's like a horror film. (laughs) What were you thinking, Lynette? I would like to know if there's anyone listening who has been a mum or a nanny in this kind of situation where they've either spied on a nanny or they've been a nanny that's been spied on. I want to hear all about it. Yeah. How do you feel about this scene, people? If you're a nanny, is there the understanding that you are going to be spied on? Like, is it just the thing now? Is it just one of those things? (laughs) Yeah, like, it's just one of those sort of job expectations. (laughs) Let us know. I would love to hear some stories about this. Yes. Yeah, I think it'd be really interesting. Yeah, we move back to Susan, and Julie is begging Susan not to send Zach back. Susan tells Julie that she can't exactly do anything else because he can't stay there. She asks Mike what he thinks they should do, and he gives a very valid argument, and Susan takes his side. This upsets Julie, but Zach assures her that he will be fine and Mike takes Zach back over to Paul's and Susan asks Mike to bring Zach back if Paul sees him and sort of freaks out. Next, we get a delightfully awkward moment where Susan attempts to parent Julie and Julie storms off telling her mum that she doesn't want to talk to her right now. Susan attempting to be a parent with that one line is more awkward than watching her get the house all sexy. Or, I don't know, try and ride a mechanical ball. Yeah. It's more awkward than that the house naked. Susan can't do the disappointed parent. She's not used to it. She's really not used to it and it's really uncomfortable. (laughs) It's uncomfortable to watch. I love that Julie just brings it back around on her. As if Julie's the one who's disappointed in Susan. She's like, I don't want to talk about this right now. Yeah, and then just storms off upstairs. <laughs> I'm not dis- I'm not upset, Susan. I'm just very disappointed. <laughs> I'm really disappointed in you, Mum. Loved it. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. We are now at the scene. The it scene. is the scene. Rex is sat, well, I can only assume naked, on Maisie's bed while she's pulling lots of different objects. Maisie begins to talk to Rex about his home life, and Rex explains that he had to move back home for Andrew, tells Maisie, Maisie, or maybe maybe he's more telling himself in this scene, that he will move out eventually. Maisie psychoanalyzes Rex a little bit, telling him that she thinks he doesn't really want to move out and that he's still in love with Brie, and he makes it known that he never said he wasn't in love with Brie. Maisie tells Rex she's a romantic at heart and asks him if he wants scarves or cuffs. He tells Maisie that even if he could get over Brie's OCD, that isn't the only problem that they have, and that he has, as we can now clearly see, certain needs. Maisie asks if he wants boots or stilettos, and that's when Rex actively makes a decision and picks stilettos. <laughs> yeah. Maisie asks why Rex doesn't just tell Brie what he wants and he announces that she would say no. She clicks her fingers and Rex lays down on the floor and as she does that, she tells Rex that when you love somebody, you learn to make sacrifices before warning him that what they're about to do might hurt him a little bit and she walks on Rex before we move on. Come on First man. of all, Rex, don't bring up your child to your sex worker. <laughs> like, right. don't be talking about your family life and your children, that's just weird. Second of all, Maisie looks great but she keeps her wedding ring on throughout the entire thing. Maybe he's into that. Is that just a little <laughs> bit weird? But like, obviously Bree did say, I will go there with you. Yep. But Rex is probably thinking this will blow Bree's mind and the fear of getting rejected is probably scarier than anything else because that fear is like, uh, if I'm rejected, it'll be so humiliating. Mm and emasculating almost. But moving on, Gabby is harassing Carlos's lawyer, asking him how she's supposed to live without a car, and he tells her that they are <laughs> trying to get... I mean, I feel that. Harassing Carlos's lawyer. <laughs> she is harassing his lawyer. She's like <laughs> slapping him on the chest. 
She asks how she's supposed to live with that car. He tells her that they are trying to get Carlos to turn on Tanaka and this is their way of doing it. Telling her that they probably aren't done yet and they can take anything they believe to be purchased through money linked to Carlos's criminal activity. Gabby gets upset, telling him that some of the stuff is hers from before she even met Carlos when she modeled. The lawyer then suggests that she hide a few things as they can't take what they can't find. Gabby takes the lawyer's advice a little too literally and begins to hide pretty much all of her stuff. I'm guessing all over the neighborhood, but we do only see her take it to Breeze. I think it was just Breeze. Yeah. Like, how big is Bree's garage? <laughs> she fit so much of Gabby's stuff in that garage and there was still room. Poor Bree. Yeah, Bree was not prepared for that. She didn't look very impressed. Rex and Maisie are having their adult cuddle and we get to listen to it, wonderfully enough, yep. whilst looking at a family portrait and sort of other things that remind the audience that Maisie is a wife and mother. And then Rex moans sort of turn into pleasure and then into pain as he collapses and Maisie calls an ambulance. I mean, someone just has to threaten to walk on me with a stiletto heel and I'd have a I'd bloody faint as well. Well, there goes that fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> she does all of this stuff in front of all of her family photos. So gross. Hey, if she can talk about Rex's children and still wear a wedding ring, family photos are not that weird. Like, oh god, it's so gross. It is really gross, but I do like the shot because it does remind the audience that, you know, this isn't just an affair. This is another desperate housewife. This is another, yes, this is another desperate housewife. Right. You know, she's, she only started this because she was having financial troubles, like yeah. her family. She, she was not starting it because... Well, good for her. She found her niche. She did find her niche. <laughs> and it's clearly a niche that needed to be filled if she's got so many clients. Right. Like, she has created a business. Well done, girl. Better businesswoman than Lynette. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Brie is sort of looking through wedding photos of Gabby and Carlos. She seems to be in a garage sort of rooting through Gabby's stuff. I guess she thinks that she's got the right to do that. But she gets a phone call from the hospital and Brie rushes over to the hospital and we can hear that Rex had a heart attack. She asks the nurse where he is and she tells Brie that he's about to go into surgery. Brie asks if she can pop in and see him quickly beforehand as she's his wife and this shocks the nurse. And when Brie asks why, she comes back with a lame excuse of like, I was thinking of a different patient or it was a poor excuse before running away to get the doctor. And in the nurse's absence, Brie looks at the clipboard the nurse was holding and sees that Maisie Gibbons was with Rex when he was admitted. Not gonna lie, nurses don't have time to play no, these stupid games. No, they really don't. If I was a nurse, I'd be like, your husband came in with another woman. That's why I assumed that that was his wife. Like, yeah, I wouldn't hide anything. I mean, that nurse is probably just like, great, it's another cheating SOB. Like, right? uh, I, I was thinking of another patient. I don't know, just, just It's not like he could complain. If, yeah. he, if he complained, they'd be like, well, we saved your life. It's not really my job to cover up your affairs. Yeah, <laughs> and Brie can't complain either. Lynette is in bed watching the nanny cam footage of the day and is relieved to see that Claire is doing a good job for this relief quickly turns to jealousy as she sees that her kids love Claire maybe a little bit too much. Come on, Lynette. Jealousy is really not a good look on you. No, Lynette, you're such a mess in season one. Why? She is. Why can't you just be happy that your children like their nanny? Because not all children do. Claire's really talented, though. She she has puppets. She plays a guitar. She blows up balloon animals. You... It's like watching a high street performance. Yeah, you get nannies that really don't put that much effort in. You have got yourself a brilliant nanny and you are now, like, causing a problem. Mm. Susan sheepishly gives Julie the candles that she borrowed and Julie snaps
snaps back with an angry retort before Susan calls her out for being the angry one when it should be her. Susan claims that someone had to be responsible and as she is the mother, it sort of falls onto her. Julie replies telling Susan that since Carl left, she has been behaving like the mother and goes off with examples of how Julie kept the household and Susan afloat during those times. I loved this moment so much. Just her going right back at Susan with the mum card. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying, I'm the one that sorted all the bills out. I did this. And I'm like, girl, I, I, I didn't even know how to do any of that stuff until I was 20. I mean, yeah, pretty much. My mum pretty much did everything. We are 10 episodes in and it's about time that Julie did this. Yeah, 10 episodes too soon, Julie. Like, you've got the patience. Andrea, is it Andrea Bowen? I believe that's who played the name of the girl that plays Julie. Is such a good actress. Like, in this moment, it really showed. Yeah, she's, like, she's very impressive for her age. It showed, like, what a good child actress she was. So, yeah. bravo, Andrea. <laughs> Gabby looks around at her empty house and realises that she only really misses one thing, and that's Carlos. The government turn up to repossess any goods, but are confused to see that there really isn't anything there they can repossess. <laughs> like a TV and a chair in the corner, right. but that's about it. <laughs> we don't like clutter. <laughs> that's li- <laughs> Are you supposed to be trying to convince the government that you and Carlos sit on the floor? This is really dodgy. Really dodgy. Surely the government will be questioning this. This won't be the first time someone's tried to play this game with the government, (laughs) like hide a lot of their stuff. And Gabby, you could have hid like a few things. Lynette sits down with her kids to read a book and, and the kids start looking a little bit bored, telling Lynette that when Claire reads, she does voices. Lynette attempts these funny voices, but that doesn't go down too well. Voice actress Lynette is not. You know, this scene is super awkward because Lynette is just the worst at reading these stories. She is the worst. She's not engaging at all. I was just like, Lynette, what are you doing? She reads this the way that you would skim read a document at work. Yeah. Like a memo. Lynette is the character. If you ever release a book, don't do the audio. Right. Don't do the audiobook, Lynette. Hire someone else to do the audiobook. She even does reading to her kids as if it's a business meeting. Yeah. <laughs> because she's just like, oh, there's a young turtle. His name is Harvey. Come on, Lynette. Put some, like, emotion and, you know, warmth into it. That was perfect. <laughs> She's a disaster at reading. <laughs> yeah. Gabby is at the jailhouse with Carlos and she tells Carlos quite loudly that she moved all of their stuff to keep it from the police. Carlos apologises for putting Gabby through the situation and Gabby tells Carlos that he didn't do anything wrong and she'll take care of everything until he's back to do it himself. And at the moment that they kiss, Carlos tells Gabby that there is a passport hidden with documents and to burn the documents and keep the passport. Gabby leans in for another kiss, asking Carlos if he knew what Tanaka was doing and Carlos just repeats himself. What Gabby says in this scene, she's like, oh, I'd give up a house full of expensive junk just to have you home with me. That is called growth. That was cute. Episode one, Gabby would not have said that. She would have just wandered off to John. I do wonder if she actually would, though, considering that she's moved all of her expensive junk into Bree's house. Yeah. (laughs) This is really unfair to ask Gabby to do this stuff. She's... Has, she has no idea about any of this and you're just getting her involved and you're not, really? you're not even giving her an explanation. Yeah, well, he can't really, He's just dodging he? the questions. I mean, to be fair, he can, let's face it. If Gabby can sit in the middle of a, you know, jail room with police officers around saying, oh, I, I hid all of our stuff from the police officers, Carlos. Carlos can sit there and tell Gabby what he needs, she needs to do. <laughs> <laughs> the police officers aren't listening. They're not paid enough. No, they're not. Edie is trying to get into Martha's house and ask Lynette if she has a spare key. Turns out that Edie left her laptop there in her rush to leave and there's just stuff on that laptop she doesn't want anyone else to see. <laughs> I'm intrigued. I really want to know what this stuff is. I think we can all guess. 
There's an awkward moment before Lynette wishes Edie good luck, and Edie tells Lynette that she's never looked better, and she tells Edie that she's got a new nanny before complaining as she's worried her kids are beginning to realise that there are other women out there who are better mothers than she was. Oh, God. Right? Edie unintentionally gives Lynette some advice in that she should basically make Claire be a disciplinarian, and that way it would make Lynette the lesser of two evils. I mean, spoiler alert, Lynette doesn't take this advice on the way that anyone else would. Would. No, <laughs> she does not. I mean, I, I think this is another good scene because we get to hear more of Edie's past and it, it just gives us more of an insight into who she is. And we see her actually being helpful. She's right as well. Lynette does look so much better now that Claire's around. Uh, she looks clean. She has clean <laughs> fitted shirts. Tiny yeah, they're hair. not like baggy and horrible. Like, good on you, Lynette. She even has like tidy hair. She just looks a lot chipper, you know, more awake. Yes. Less stressed. Maybe you should evaluate where you're at in your life right now, Lynette, and just appreciate that. Yes. Susan tells Mike that Julie accused her of not being a good mother. Is it really an accusation if it's true? He disagrees, but Susan explains that Julie isn't really wrong and that she leaned on her a lot during her divorce and she finds that she still does it now. Susan explains that she wants someone to talk to about all of her adult stuff and Julie's always been right there and she forgets that she's only 13. And then Mike tells Susan that she has him now. Well... I think this might be the first time when Susan has audibly considered that maybe she does rely too much on Julie. And, you know, for these adult things that you can't go to Mike about, remember those housewife friends of yours? Yeah, you you've know? got three other housewife friends. Remember Lynette and Brie and Gabby? They exist. Yeah. Can't you go talk to them once in a while? You, why do you have to talk to Julie about every little thing? Oh, my daughter's my best friend. Zach and Paul are having dinner and Paul is apparently, I'm saying apparently because I don't buy any of this scene. I disagree. Relieved <laughs> to have Zach back. Zach asks if this means he won't be going back to the rehabilitation centre and Paul does not answer this question exactly and instead tells Zach that he didn't know what he was going through. Zach calls Paul out for being a bad dad by saying, you could have asked me. Zach tells Paul he is starting to remember things from when he was little and Paul replies saying that he needs to stop looking into the past and push those memories out of his head and this ends the conversation. Yeah, because that's healthy. Exactly. Paul sounds so robotic. Like, oh, you just have to push those thoughts out. You know, those memories, just get rid of them. Don't think about them. But Paul's not a monster. I think he does care for Zach. And I thought it was really sweet to how happy he was to have him home and safe. I, I did buy it. Yeah, maybe I'm just being a bit overdramatic with it. It's, it's, cause, it's probably because you just don't like Paul. Because in I all really fairness, don't like Paul. By the end of the season, anything Susan did, I was annoyed with. Yeah. So it's like that. <laughs> but, well, no, because I just, like, yeah, he might be happy to have Zach back. You know, they embrace. Was that just because Mike was there and it was a front? I don't know, because even Zach looked quite awkward with the hug. But I also imagine that Zach is very awkward person. Oh, yeah. If Paul isn't a bad dad for the way that he spoke to Zach, then he's a bad dad for those mashed potatoes that he served because those mashed potatoes look disgusting. <laughs> they look dry. No, they were not mashed potatoes. That's so funny. I thought they looked really nice. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I thought they looked so, like, dry and crumbly. No one wants crumbly mash. People want creamy mash. Oh, no. Creamy mash is the best. Oh, creamy. Oh, no. Like, it just doesn't need to be, like, dry. That's yeah. what the gravy's for. Oh, no. I mean, yeah, but... That's why you make the little volcano. Little volcano? Yeah, you push down a little hole and you pour the gravy in and it goes over the edge like, woo! <laughs> You, you, ne you never did your gravy volcano. No. What? I just poured gravy over my meal and that was that. Like... Okay, well, 
We're going to have some gravy and mash soon. We're going to make some Okay, mash but I'm making vol- the mash. We're making some mash volcanoes, <laughs> just you yeah. see. I'm making just the mash wait. then. Bree turns up to Maisie Williams' house to discuss the affair with Rex. Maisie assures Bree that Rex still loves her, and Bree asks Maisie why he's so unhappy if this is the case, and she replies telling Bree that he has certain needs that he is afraid to discuss with Bree. Bree asks if Maisie has fulfilled these needs, and Maisie doesn't reply, but just sort of smiles. Brie gets up to leave and tells Maisie that she is very brazen for a woman who admits to sleeping with her husband. Brie tells Maisie that she pities her before walking out. This is a very revealing scene. Really? Maisie hates being pitied. She hates people being sorry for her. Mm Mm-hmm. And the smile that she gives Brie is just to die for. Like she's finally got something up on her now. Yeah. It's like after all this time, Maisie's still holding a grudge against... A grudge? A grudge. (laughs) After all this time, Maisie is still holding a grudge against Brie for whatever comments or lack of comments Brie made when she was going through financial problems. And this moment is everything for (laughs) Maisie. This is something she has wanted for years. Although she is visibly scared when she opens the door to Brie. Yeah, she is. She's so shocked. She's like, (laughs) Brie! But she was shaking. (laughs) She was, but Maisie loved it. It was everything Maisie wanted. But when Maisie was telling the story about the husband's wife's actions, referring to Brie, she very much made out like, you know, she hated this moment in her life because she doesn't like people feeling sorry for her. She didn't say it, but you can tell. And then when Brie says that she pities her, she looks so upset. She she hates that. Yeah. She does not want to be pitied. Well, nobody really likes to be pitied, do they? No, but she really doesn't want people feeling sorry for her. Lynette is heading out and she asks Claire to give the boys Brussels sprouts for dinner. Claire tells Lynette she covers them in cheese and that usually works. Lynette, right? Lynette leaves. This, bearing in mind, Lynette tried to do that with the boys at the beginning of the episode was dip them in cheese and it didn't work. That's probably why she was like, oh wow, you clever girl. Yeah, she was like, <laughs> oh, you're so sly or whatever she says. Lynette leaves with a smile on her face, knowing she is about to deliberately make her nanny's job that little bit harder. That night, Lynette gets home and she sits down to watch the nanny cam footage and happily eats popcorn whilst watching her kids mistreat their nanny. Oh, this is a low moment. It is a real low moment, girl. So when Brie was inadvertently giving you advice and planting an idea that you could turn the nanny into a disciplinarian so that they look forward to having a caring mum come home. Yeah. You didn't take any of that on board. No, literally. You were just like, feed them Brussels, lol. (laughs) That's literally it. Lynette, just fire the poor woman instead of torturing her. Right. What? You're just sitting there laughing at this footage. I was like, oh girl, this is so low, but so hilarious. I loved it. It's (laughs) brilliant, but I think it's so rude that she's trying to make her boys act up around Claire. First of all, that is not a sort of attitude to have for your children. I think this is one of the worst things Lynette has done. Um, in the season or in the show? In the show. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, I'm it finding a, it hard hmm. to think of other bad things that Lynette's done right now. So maybe I just can't, like, remember anything. Hmm. There's a few things towards the end. Bree is in the hospital room and Rex wakes up. She moves to sit beside him and tells Rex that the operation went really well. Bree tells Rex that she was afraid he was going to die before she had a chance to say all the things that she wanted to say. Rex apologises for worrying her and he tells her that he is strong enough to hear what she has to say now. Maybe you'll make some better life choices now that you've woken up from your heart attack and had surgery. Mm. She moves to sit on his bed and get closer to him and she tells him that she knows he still loves her and that 
she went to see Maisie. Brie tells him that from this moment, she is no longer his wife. She will find the most vindictive lawyer she can and take away his money, his family, and his dignity. And that she's so glad to know he still loves her and she wants this to hurt him as much as possible. She leaves the room by telling Rex that she is happy he didn't die before she got the chance to say that to him. <laughs> Girl's angry. She, well, wouldn't you be? Brie has officially turned to the dark side and I love it. This... I think is my favourite scene in the episode. Bree is so fierce. I'm going to take away your money, your family and your dignity. Bree and Rex seem to be consistently my favourite sort of scenes, I think. Oh, they've got great dialogue. Great scenes. And she is so... The way that she flips from loving wife to angry She was just keeping woman. that there, ready to release it at the yeah. moment that he said the right thing. <laughs> yeah, like she's just, because that's literally what he's done to her. He's taken away Bree's dignity in her mind. Oh yeah, he's been horrible to her. Like this has been the most, probably the most humiliating thing that Bree has had to deal with so far in her life. And so she's literally just gonna be like, fine, I'll do it to you. You have unlocked Dark Brie, and are we we are excited. Dark Brie, like, right? Like, vindictive, vengeful Brie, and I love it. Bring it on. I can't wait. Maybe Dark Brie will be up for some of this stuff that Rex wants. Yeah. We never know. I can't wait for the next episode just to find out. The end of the episode, we see that Gabby has found the documents in the passport that Carlos told her about, and instead of burning the documents, she decides to read them. And at this point, Mary Alice begins to discuss trust, that it's a fragile thing, and once we earned it we get freedom but once it's lost it's impossible to recover we see Brie go to a solicitors Lynette feel good about herself for the stunt she pulled with the nanny Julie still having a teenage tantrum with Susan Edie outside Huber's house with a policeman which Paul notices and Gabby who decides to burn Carlos's passport but not the documents. Not the documents. She throws the passport in the fire instead. So whatever she has read, she clearly feels that Carlos needs to be punished. Yeah, what's she doing? So I'm assuming, I think we can assume at this point in time, Carlos knew what Tanaka's doing. He's playing the whole, oh, I had no idea. I had no idea that, you know, it was slave labor, blah, blah, blah. And I think that whatever Gabby's read probably links Carlos to it more than saying he is. Yeah, he's putting it on. Yeah. This episode was definitely about trust. Very oh, yeah. heavily about trust. Very heavily about trust. But okay, this is why I think Come Back to Me is an adequate title. <laughs> to you, to me. <laughs> to me, to you, to me, to you. Um, because in throughout the episode, we see all of the characters wanting someone to come back to them. So you have Brie that's still trying to get Rex to come back. She even says to Lynette, I have faith that he'll come back. And then you've got Gabby who just wants Carlos back and she'd give up a whole house of, you know, pointless things to have him come back home. And we've got Lynette who just wants the love of her kids back. So I think Come Back To Me was an adequate title. Yes, it was an adequate title. I just think um, the theme of trust was much more prevalent in this episode. So I quite enjoy some of the titles that allude to that. Let's move on to our next segment, which is Joel's best outfit choice yes. of the episode. Although I will give Edie a special shout out because she always looks stunning in a suit, I am going to give this to Maisie Gibbons <laughs> with her fetish outfit, partly because I will be giving out these awards to an awful lot of the main housewives an awful lot throughout this, so Absolutely. anytime I can give an award to someone that isn't a main housewife, that isn't always in the show, I will give it to them. Mm -hmm. And Maisie looked great in her little fetish outfit. Didn't she just? So I, she's got a phenomenal body. Bravo to you, Maisie Gibbons. So, and how about for you? 
Who was your um, worst parent of the episode? Oh, it's definitely Lynette. Yeah. Oh my gosh, laughing at the video of your kids flipping out at Claire. (laughs) That's a low moment, man. That is a real low moment, Also, just spying in general on your kids and on Claire. It's not cool. I would like to point out, earlier in this episode, I called Maisie Gibbons Maisie Williams, and so that's not the case. Who's Maisie Williams? I've got no... Oh, that's the actress from Game of Thrones. She plays Arya Stark. Is it Maisie Williams? Yeah. Oh, okay. That would be where I got the name from. But when I was reading my notes as I was talking, I can see I wrote Maisie Williams. We're not going to talk about how messed up that is. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, we do not talk about that. Okay, so that was season one, episode 10, Come Back to Me. We did it. We did it, guys. (laughs) Woo! Next week's episode is... Season 1, episode 11, Move On. Move On. Which is a really good episode, and I can't wait. So, if anyone wants to contact us on our socials, or get in touch with us in general, where can they do that, Joel? You can find us on Instagram at Boyfriends Review, and you can find us on Twitter at BFS Review. We've also got email, which is boyfriendsreview at outlook.com, and our artwork is done by our friend Louis, and you can find him on Instagram at DocRedMonkDesign, which also has a link to his Etsy page where you can get his commissions. Yeah, he does some really good stuff. Thank yes. you so much for listening. Please do join us next week where we're going to be looking at more Dark Bree, see what she's getting up to and on the other housewives. Yes. Um, we will see you next week. Have a good day. Have a good day, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye.